KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, KRCL's show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Coming up this hour, Westminster College has been so kind as to share their first-ever Juneteenth National Freedom Day panel discussion. It comes to us courtesy of Dr. Tamara Stevenson, the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the college, and, of course, a former radioactive community co-host. So later this hour, she will be in conversation with Representative Sandra Hollins, Michelle Love Day of RISE Virtual Academy, and, of course... Ogden NAACP President Betty Sawyer. But first, rallies and resources, and I couldn't help myself. I called up Betty Sawyer to get the lowdown on all the Juneteenth festivities. So here we go. Here's that conversation. Let's pass that microphone. Betty Sawyer, Director of Project Success Coalition and the Utah Juneteenth Freedom and Heritage Festival Committee. That's got to have extra meaning for you this year, Miss Betty, because it is officially a federal and now a state holiday here in Woo-hoo! Utah. That's what I'm saying. It's party time. You've it's been through these fights a long time. In fact, coming up in this panel discussion, we're going to share you talk about what Dr. Tamara Stevenson called the slowness of this kind of recognition from the original um, Martin Luther King Day, which was originally called... Human Rights Day here to get it yes, through. Yes, And you've accepted those kind of incremental um, symbolic changes over the years. But where do you think we are now in this moment in 2022 when it comes to um, human rights, civil rights, um, and the pushback with CRT and all of this? I, I think this is another one of those uh, points in time where we as a community, as a state, as a nation are challenged to, uh, you know, like Dr. King, it's not where you stand in times of comfort, but where you stand in times of challenge and controversy and, and, and all of that. And we can either go forward or we can fall back. And this is definitely not a time to fall back. And so as we look at what's happening with Juneteenth across the country and in Utah, it makes me know that we have to be even more vigilant in our efforts to stand firm and continue to push that envelope each and every day so that we don't lose ground because we're seeing us losing ground around us. Well, and some frightening things as witnessed in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho recently and the Patriot Front folks arrested with what looked like the intention to riot at a pride event in Idaho. Yes, things that we thought we had checked the box on. We're okay, we're all human, we are part of this human family, and we're still finding, you know, racism, killing people and targeting them and, and monitoring them for the color of their skin so that you could kill them. And then, like you said, with pride, with Roe v. Wade, with CRT, it's like, where does this stuff stop? I thought I did this in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, <laughs> and we're still yeah. doing it. And that's the the old chestnut, right? Every generation must secure liberty for itself. And that's because I am at an age where I can look back and say, I thought we did this in the 80s. And uh, yes. it's very disturbing. And here we are facing a, a primary election in Utah, June yes. 28th, and then the general. So ballots are in the mail. And what are your thoughts about folks, especially here against the backdrop of Juneteenth, who say, it didn't matter. It didn't, I showed up and I voted. It, it didn't matter. Can you give us the long view of this argument to keep showing up? And, and we have to. And I, like I shared when we talked the other day, doing social justice work and civil rights work is not for wimps because we had to show up even when we don't feel like it. Even when we ourselves get disillusioned and dismayed, we still have to, you know, pull ourselves together and show up. And that's my message to everybody when it comes to voting. We have to show up. We have no one to blame if we don't show up. And me, myself, I have my one vote story. I have a three vote story. So it does matter. Your vote does matter. So whenever you think about not showing up, 
you think about all of the countless folk, unnamed people that lost their lives, they gave up, you know, their jobs and reputations and, and livelihood to make this possible for us. And you better get out there and vote or I'm going to be looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you it sounds like you roll all of that into Juneteenth. And I'm kind of curious because we've seen a couple of uh, call outs on social media about the merchandising. Because, I, you know, as soon as it was approved, I'm like, oh, here comes the merchandising. So I don't know why anybody's surprised. <laughs> I'm not. That's what we do. Martin Luther King, you don't want to pass the holiday, but I'll sell his T-shirt. I sure will. <laughs> give, give me some little dockets. Yeah. And we know it was coming. And, and I sit on the national board of the Junta the Therapist Foundation. And, and I told the board, I said, look, we knew it was coming. Just sit down and write up some best practices and send it out to folk. And all we could do is hope that they put some of that investment back into the communities that they're extracting it from and that they're capitalizing on, you know, because they're going to do it. Yeah, they are. In the meantime, you have a whole slate of activities, some that have already occurred, but uh, tomorrow is the Juneteenth welcome reception up in Ogden, as well as a flag raising at Salt Lake County. What is el- What else is still to come that you're looking forward to? I'm looking forward to uh, Saturday and Sunday at the amphitheater. We have some great artists, George Brown's Jazz Ensemble, Emotion R&B, and we have a group of coming out of California, all of our local artists, and Zenobia Smith, who's a Utah native that comes home every year to bless us with her gospel uh, talents. And I'm also looking forward to going and hanging out at Real Salt Lake. I haven't been to a soccer game in so long, (laughs) but they're honoring and celebrating Juneteenth at their soccer game Saturday night. And then going to the Soul Skate Party on Sunday night over at Mill Creek. And so we're not going to be done until it's done. And and we're going to be at the Gallatin Center on Monday for a health and wellness expo. And in the middle of all of that, I'm going to try to party a little bit for my birthday because <laughs> it's always around Juneteenth. And so, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. There's two more I wanted to mention. And one is the Utah Juneteenth Celebration Barber Battle and Crowns Braid Battle. That's part of what you're doing up there in Ogden this weekend, right? Yes, that'll be on Sunday. And so we kick that off at noon on Sunday. And this event honors two longtime businessmen. Mr. Billy Mason, who was in Salt Lake, he since deceased, and Mr. Willie Moore in Ogden that were barbers. And so someone said, hey, let's do something to bring our barbers to the table, because for a long time, they were the major uh, mainstay in the business community and, and helped all of us look good doing what we were doing. And so uh, we have student barber uh, category as well as professional barbers. And last year, the ladies said, wait a minute, we're just doing barbers. We want to do something, too. So we added the crowns braiding. And so we're, we're excited to see the creativity that's going to come out of that, that artistic expression. And so it's going to be a fun morning uh, up in Ogden watching that. And that's going to be at 343 East 25th Street, historic 25th Street in Ogden. We'll put all the links in the show notes. And then June 27th, I'm looking forward to this one, is the Black Women's Mural Project unveiling with Better Days Utah. Yes. um, Ms. Alice Birch, who's on our committee, has been working with Better Days, curating this project. And we're so excited to see the unveiling. And it's going to be at the historic Mignon Richmond Park. And so uh, we invite people to come out. And then we're going to close out the event because we're talking about, you know, Juneteenth, end of enslavement and what took place after that. You know, it wasn't like you're free and everything's good. We're still going through some things in this country and in this state. So we're going to close out the month with the health and healing and reconciliation time where, where we can just put it out there. We cannot heal until we're able to own and claim what has taken place. But then it's a time for us to come together in unity to do the work that's ahead of us to to make Utah a better place, to make our families better. And, you know, it's been a lot of racial trauma in in our country. And and if we don't take the time to heal, 
we carried that on too to the next generation. Is that an event or a general call to the community? Where can I find more details about that healing and reconciliation? That'll, that'll be on the flyer that's on the website. We're going to be at the International Peace Gardens for that. What You know, why not go there? That's the Juneteenth Beloved Community Vigil, Monday, June 30th, 6 p.m. at the International Peace Gardens on 9th West at just about 1100 South Salt Lake City. Check tonight's show notes for a link to that and more. Betty Sawyer, president of the NAACP Ogden chapter. Thanks so much for giving us some time. Folks, stick around. You're going to hear some more as we share the Westminster College panel discussion with uh, Betty Sawyer, Sandra Hollins, Michelle Loveday, and of course, Dr. Tamara Stevenson as the moderator. But let's go out with some music for Juneteenth. Is there a song on your playlist for your birthday, maybe even, that you'd like to share? Uh, let's see. Let's let's do some Marvin Gaye this time. Uh, what's going on? Perfect. What's going on? Pitch perfect. Miss Betty, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you and blessings to you and all of the wonderful work that KRCL does providing that hope, that that music, that love in the community. And here's your Marvin Gaye, Betty. Thank you so much for all you do in the community. It's KRCL Radioactive. <laughs> Rock Camp SLC's first summer showcase is just around the corner on Saturday, June 18th, 2 p.m. at the Commonwealth Room. Twelve bands perform original songs created in just five days. More details at rockcampslc.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Loves Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow, spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych with DJ Mike at 8, Gianni's Dirty Boulevard at 10.30, Rich checks in at 1 a.m. with I Don't Sound Like Nobody, Jolene's Illustrated Blues at 3, and John Florence starts your brand new day for a Friday at 6 a.m. And now let's dig into this panel discussion, Juneteenth National Freedom Day, recorded earlier this week at Westminster College, and we pass the microphone straight away to the moderator, Dr. Tamara Stevenson. I'm Dr. Tamara Stevenson. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I serve as the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and Chief Diversity Officer here at Westminster. This program will feature a panel that includes an educator, a legislator, a legislator, and a community activist with deep Utah roots, whose personal and professional experiences will enlighten our understanding, insight, and appreciation for Juneteenth National Freedom Day as America's newest federal holiday and Utah's latest state holiday. And yes. And we'll talk about the holiday's recognition in Utah over time and the effort to make Juneteenth an official state holiday in Utah. At this time, I recognize the tribal communities of the Goshute, Dine Navajo, Paiute, Shoshone, and Ute peoples, their elders, both past and present, and their future generations. We acknowledge their stewardship of Utah's lands. Please join me in appreciating the organizations that consistently support the college's diversity, equity, and inclusion events and activities, including Cigna, Zions Bank, Rocky Mountain Power Foundation, and Mark Miller Subaru. Special thanks, uh, thank you. <laughs> Special thanks goes to the BW Bastion Foundation, the signature sponsor of our longtime diversity lecture series. At every opportunity, I thank the Westminster, I thank you, the Westminster campus community for your enduring commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the years and for the support that grants me the strength, the courage, and the latitude <laughs> uh, to elevate, amplify, call out, and call in all those voices, backgrounds, and structures toward equity and belonging. Thanks to our marketing, communications, and events teams, our on-campus catering group for the delicious Juneteenth-inspired culinary delights, 
to Westminster alum Catherine Foster for actualizing the vision of the Juneteenth poster series. So make sure you take a look at that um, a little later. It includes a timeline of key Juneteenth events in Utah, along with the representation of Utah House Bill 238, co-sponsored by Representative Sandra Hollins and Senator Jacob Andrick. I am especially thankful for Westminster students, staff, and faculty, campus leadership, including Westminster College Beth Dobkin, who is here with us today, and the President's Cabinet for their commitment to adding Juneteenth to our roster of paid holidays that will begin next year. And now to, yes. <laughs> and now to this panel. This panel is the trifecta, of, or the combination of three major thought action leaders in grassroots community activism, legislative progress, and educational advancement and social action concerning this timely, relevant, and in-depth conversation about Juneteenth in Utah. I'm proud to know these three women personally and professionally, professionally to tell this story about America's newest holiday. And I'll introduce them on the side of, on the other side of this video message from Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Hello, I'm Governor Spencer Cox, and this year I'm happy to invite Utahns to join together in celebrating a newly designated statewide holiday, Juneteenth. For more than 150 years, June 19th has been observed to mark the day when black communities in Texas first learned the Civil War had ended. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, abolishing slavery. But the news arrived slowly in the South. More than two and a half years passed before freedom finally came on June 19, 1865, liberating more than 250,000 black Americans. Annual celebrations starting in the 1800s have commemorated this day, which has been designated as America's second Independence Day by the National Juneteenth Foundation. Representative Sandra Hollins and Senator Jake Andreg sponsored a bill during the 2022 legislative session designating June 19th as National Freedom Day as a way to remember and honor a monumental chapter in our history. I was thrilled to sign this into law, marking the significance of this moment. Juneteenth is a chance for us to recognize Utah's vibrant black communities by celebrating the achievements of black artists, writers, musicians, scientists, civic leaders, and educators. We applaud those who are exploring African-American genealogy, helping amplify the history of black military veterans who helped shape the country through their service in the Civil War, as well as black settlers and pioneers and journalists who dug deep roots in our own cities and towns. As we build new Utah traditions around this holiday, we also want to recognize the work of Miss Betty Sawyer, president of Ogden's chapter of the NAACP and one of the founders of the Utah Martin Luther King Jr. Human Rights Commission. For more than three decades, she has worked with various community stakeholders to organize Juneteenth events and festivals while continuing to lobby to officially recognize this as a state holiday. Among this year's events are a flag raising ceremony, an excellence in the community gospel concert, a jazz brunch, a children's festival, and the unveiling of a Juneteenth Black Women's Mural. View statewide events and add more by clicking the Juneteenth link on the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs website. Let's find opportunities to celebrate together and invite open and healing conversations around civil rights and equal opportunity. In Utah, we will observe this year's holiday on Monday, June 20th. May we commit to learning more about our nation's history and find opportunities to grow in unity, build a connected Utah, and strive to cultivate belonging and inclusion in our state. And now this panel, starting with Sandra Hollins, the first black American woman elected to the Utah State Legislature and co-sponsor of HB 238, the bill to make Juneteenth a state holiday in Utah. Welcome to the stage, <laughs> Representative Hollis. <laughs> Ms. Dr. Michelle Loveday, 
almost. Longtime Utah educator and creator of RISE Virtual Academy, an online weekly school to offer a rich, diverse literacy environment for black students in Utah. Welcome. <clears throat> And Ms. Betty Sawyer, Utah community activist and head of the Ogden chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and so many, many other things. Please welcome Ms. Betty to the stage. So there are two mics, and I believe Ms. Michelle and Ms. Betty seat, so we'll pass the mics around as needed. So as I mentioned before, I know these phenomenal women, women personally. However, since we are in public, <laughs> I will use titles out of respect for my black community home training to honor my colleagues and my elders. So it's Ms. Betty, Representative Hollins, and Ms. Michelle, just so you know. All right, so I'll have, we'll have some start, starting opening questions and then we're glad to take your questions from the audience. So let's begin. We'll start with Ms. Betty. Take us back in time, Ms. Betty. More than 30 years ago, what led you to start a Juneteenth celebration in Utah? Thank you, Dr. Stevenson, and we're so glad to be here with you today. I went to my first Juneteenth celebration at Jordan Park 33 years ago. I'm a native of Maryland, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, the birthplace of Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, all of those other wonderful people's names that we know and don't know, and had never heard of Juneteenth. And so when I was invited to join the celebration, I was excited any time to see some black people. I mean, come on now. 1975 in Utah? Yeah, I was looking. Where are they? Coming from Baltimore? <laughs> Where am I? No, but anyway, so they said a party, a celebration, I'm all in. So I went over to the celebration and had a wonderful time. And at the time, I was the director of the Governor's Office of Black Affairs. And so as they began planning the next year, uh, Lenoris Bush, who was the director of UOIC, invited me to come in and be a part of the planning committee, and I was glad to do that. While we were planning for that year's Juneteenth celebration, two weeks prior to Juneteenth, uh, committee members came back to the meeting and said, guess what? We forgot to reserve the park, and there's no park anywhere in Salt Lake City to hold Juneteenth. So they were ready to counsel it. It's like, how do you cancel Juneteenth? It's, it's going to come, whether we do anything or not. And so I said, don't cancel it yet. Let me call my friend in Ogden. Maurice White was the director of the Marshall White Community Center, the first and only building for a longtime public building named after an African-American. I called Maurice. He said, hey, come on up. So we put the word out that we were going to Ogden to celebrate Juneteenth. And that's where we started that journey in Ogden. And when I came back to Norris, I said, well, let's reserve the park for Salt Lake. He said, nah, let's keep it in Ogden. I said, okay, that's on you, because there's always been this kind of unspoken rivalry between the capital city and Ogden and other places around. So that's how I got introduced to Juneteenth and then continue to keep that dream alive. Amazing story. I don't know if everybody knows that, that level of detail about the story. I was trying to get a piece of paper because I need that for my students. <laughs> exactly. So it's recorded. I'll play it back. Yes. <laughs> Representative Hollins, you are and remain the first black woman in the Utah House of Representatives. In 2016, you co-sponsored a bill where Utah became the 44th state in the nation to observe Juneteenth Freedom Day which we can now say was the seed planted that grew into this official state holiday. Why was this important to you then and now? Thank you, Dr. Stevenson. You know, it was important to me because I recognize that in my position, um, and I embrace it, that I am not only the representative for the, my district and the people who trust me with this seat and people who voted me in, 
but I am also a representative for the black community. Um, whenever I, I, I have people who are always calling me and I, um, in the black community and I'll say, well, I'm not your representative. Have you reached out? They say, no, you are my representative. I'm not calling them. <laughs> you, you let them know, you're my representative. And so that's something I embrace. And so I was happy to embrace um, being able to um, commemorate Juneteenth um, during that time. And then Miss Betty came to me and was like, all right, we're ready to take the next step. And when she first brought it to me, because of the climate at the time, I was like, ugh, this, this is not going to pass. Not right now. Because, you know, you have to move strategically when you're trying to pass bills and policy. And so she brought it to me again. And I was like, okay, yep, let's move forward. Let's do this. And so it, it, I was happy and proud to be able to do that. I think this piece of legislation is important because in the past two years, we have seen an organized effort to cancel, to, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Cancel and um, black history and rewrite black history in this state and in this country. And it's not acceptable. The truth needs to be told of what happened, and we need to celebrate our heroes in our history, and we need to know what happened in our history. And it's not about making people feel uncomfortable. Um, it's about just knowing and having that information to be able to move forward. And so I was proud, am proud, to be a sponsor of this bill um, because it gives us an opportunity to have discussions um, about our history and who we are as a nation and as a state. Thank you, thank you, Representative Hollins. Ms. Michelle, as a longtime Utah K-12 educator and administrator, recently appointed by Governor Spencer Cox to the newly formed Ethnic Studies Commission, which is designed to study the contributions of ethnic minorities in Utah and recommend how to incorporate them into K-12 core standards. What are the educational benefits of learning about Juneteenth as a part of America's history? Thank you, Dr. Stevenson, and thank you, Westminster College, for having us here today. Um, and the benefits are what we just reaped right now from hearing from these two icons in the community. As I sit here and I I'm constantly humbled to be able to be in the room and next to them and share a love for the community that we have. I'm constantly learning from them. And just now, as she's saying the name in 1975, I'm trying to catalog it because it's all interwoven into who we are as Utahns. When we have education and we let it go to the side and the minds and those that have gone through the information doesn't get shared, it dies away and then it gets convoluted and changed. And then history repeats itself in other negative ways. And so by having not only ethnic studies being presented in our schools, but by focusing on a holiday and the commemoration of a freedom that truly encompassed what our three words of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness mean, we as an American people can be satisfied to know that this is the true holiday where everyone's ancestors and families had that freedom. But we're all interwoven in so many different ways. So when we look at sharing what Juneteenth is to students, even though, right, they're not in school, it's one of those holidays that get left to the families, like Father's Day, but it's okay. Because if parents and communities say that they wanna be involved in the education of our future generation, then it's up to them to bring them to the events, to come to panels, to teach the students and the kids what Juneteenth is all about. And in the African community and African-American community, you hear it at our church and within um, Ngoma, Y Africa, they talk about the Ubuntu Collective. I am because we are. And that is to be said that if, if it wasn't for the interwoven history that black people had coming to Utah, we would not be who we are as Utahns. We have the oldest black church prior to the state history that's older than statehood. And we have to ask why. And so we can't be ignorant to the fact that even though the numbers of black people are small in Utah, the impact and implications of who we are in Utah 
are large. And you're seeing that happen in real time. Thank you, thank you for that. And audience, please, if you have questions, have them mentally prepared and we, will, we are protecting time for your questions. This question is for all of you. Juneteenth is the nation's newest federal holiday since Martin Luther King Jr. Day was established in 1983. Utah was the final state in the nation to officially recognize MLK Day when the state legislature changed the holiday to Martin Luther King Jr. Day in 2000. How might you explain this shift from the state's slowfulness to acknowledge MLK Day <laughs> to the seeming quickness in making Juneteenth an official state holiday? And that's for all of you. I was gonna ask Ms. Betty because I think she was on those front lines fighting for the MLK and if I'm not mistaken, um, Coretta King had to come down here <laughs> and get us straight. So I'm gonna let her start with the answer, answering that question. Uh, Mrs. King came out a few times <laughs> and, and I was pleased to be able to sit in the same space as her and learn from her. But I was serving in the Governor's Office of Black Affairs under Governor Bangader at the time of the, the latest wave of push to make Martin Luther King Day a holiday and so much resistance. And I need to shout out the names of Senator Kay Cornerby. Delmon Oswald was the director of the Utah Humanities Council at the time, and, and Reverend Davis, of course, Pastor Davis. And uh, when we were working on, on the holiday, one of the things that Mrs. King shared with us, and she had brought us together in Arizona, and later we were in Atlanta with her, to say that in order to help institutionalize the holiday, we need to establish state commissions, so Martin Luther King uh, commissions. And so I took that and went back to Utah and said, okay, let's, let's do this work. And when I presented it to the governor, there was some resistance in the name. People will not accept the name. And in conversations with my colleagues, at the time we had an office of Asian Affairs, uh, of course, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, we had at that time, it was Hispanic Affairs, and later all of those morphed into what we have now as Multicultural Affairs. And when I sat down with my colleagues, they had some of the same concerns. And it's like, okay, this is interesting. We can do the holiday, but we can't say the man's name. And so I knew then that I had to find a diplomatic way of making sure that we took those steps to institutionalize the holiday or we'd lose it because we still had major divisions across our community about the importance and significance of Dr. King and, and all of his work. And so a part of that uh, conversation with my colleagues and the governor was add Human Rights Day to it. And at first I pushed back and I pushed back and then, you know, you get to that point, especially in political arenas. Do you, do you take a little win and hopefully work on the bigger win later? Or do you just stick your stick in the sand and say, I'm going to die on this hill? I didn't think that was a hill that we needed to die on. I felt it was important that we have Martin Luther King slash Human Rights Day. And no matter what everyone else called it, we always called it Martin Luther King Day. And so we went forward with that and with the help of the Salt Lake NAACP later on, we're able to come back to the table and push to not only have the name changed, but the legislative session always opened on MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day. And uh, one of the things that they pushed to do was to have it open the week after. And that in and of itself became controversy because for me, it was like, at least they had to say a prayer, ring the bell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because it was MLK Day, so, so they brought someone in to do the prayer, and we got to ring the bell and, and talk about MLK by putting it the next week. Who knows if they did anything on that third Monday or not? So that's how we got here. In, in thinking about it and in, in the realness of it, Utah has always hidden behind niceness and kindness. And under the guise of such, the harder conversations around race never happened and they're tiptoed around. 
because that is not nice. That is not kind. Because there's hard conversations in our American family history to be had when that happens. And so because of the culture that Utahns have had, and I'm, I'm an outsider coming in, claiming Utah is my home in the last 20 years, but just from that outside perception, that niceness clouded the truth, right? And, and for lack of a better phrase, I think the slowness was purposeful, just like the slowness of the horses coming to the slaves in Texas. Um, there's always a purpose behind the slowness. And I think we have to be cautious when we're too slow on things that are just. And what is the reason? Um, when it comes to things that are just, we can't appease both sides. Someone will be offended, and I would hope it's those that are in the wrong that are always on offense. Um, but it's great that it's here, um, and it's, you know, we, we are happy that it's here, but it's kind of always a sting when I hear the, the statistics. We're the 44th to have Juneteenth. We're the last to have Martin Luther King. Like, it's kind of like data, like, oh, we're not that bad, but it's not good in data land for me. So when this bill passed, I had three major bills that passed this year. And um, I don't run 20, 30, 40 bills. I do, I'd rather do small, I'd rather do less bills that are heavy to lift. And so I did three bills this year and all three of them passed and they were the... Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, those bills were the ethnic studies bill that I am so happy that the governor appointed Michelle to be on that commission. Um, I did the Izzy bill to address bullying in our schools, and I did the Juneteenth bill. I really didn't realize what I had done until the last day of the session, and one of my colleagues came to me and he said, do you have any idea what you did this session? I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you passed three historical bills. And I was like, okay, I, I, I didn't think about it. It was just stuff that, something that needed to be, I felt needed to be done. It was a benefit to our community. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, you got an ethnic studies bill passed when every state is taking this out of their curriculum and you passed it. <laughs> but I also want to give credit where credit is due. I had, I had a whole team of people, I call them my tribe, <laughs> a whole team of people, including Michelle, who, were, who was out on the front line for two years, because that was one of those bills also that was brought to me last year, along with the Juneteenth, I said, this is not the year, we can't do this this year, let's hold off to next year. And so I had a whole team. So with that being said, um, I think when the, we all witnessed the murder of George Floyd, I think it touched a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And for a lot of my colleagues up at the Capitol, I think some of them, a lot of them had a moment where they witnessed what I was saying. And my other members of our, of, well, we call ourselves the Quad Caucus because we are the only minorities up there, so we formed a caucus. And what we have been saying since we've been up there, we've been in office. And I think a lot of them realized it and a lot of people's eyes were open and there was a lot of education that went on because I'm open to answering questions from a lot of my colleagues because a lot of them I realized that I'm probably the only black woman that they know or they feel comfortable asking these questions so because I, I don't judge. You know, just let's get this, you know, let's, let's, let's talk through this, let's process this. And so I think it was that shift that for a lot of my colleagues that um, put them in the right place or put us in the right place to be able to pass these three bills uh, because there was a level of understanding there um, in those bills and they knew I came, I didn't come from a place of where I am trying to be, um, do political things, do things just to be political and just to be seen. I am so happy to work behind the scenes and never be out front. Um, and I think a lot of my colleagues know this. I, I, I try to come from a, a place of... Um, of wanting, honestly wanting to move our community forward and wanting to make sure we're inclusive and everybody's inclusive um, in this state and everybody feels safe in this state and feel as though they can thrive. So I think all of that made for the right environment. Now that's not saying that was not without any pushback. Oh, I, I, 
the public fought me hard on this. But I, I stood my ground along with other folks like Michelle who, and Betty, you came out too. Yeah, and we all came out and we stood our ground and, and we were able to, to get um, this bill passed. And I'd just like to add to that, not only did the bill pass, but they passed overwhelmingly, okay? It wasn't by one or two votes. It was by the majority of those representatives. And so with something like that, it gives me hope that we can do more, that we have the capacity to really bring about those changes that need to take place. And when we talk about these difficult conversations, we have to do the work based on the real deal, on the truth, on our history, and use that to inform where we need to go and, and move beyond the denial, the denial, because I spend a lot of time in rooms with people that, oh, well, we're not that, like Michelle was saying, the niceties, but saying, what if, just by chance, I happen to have some ill feelings and thoughts and things in, in my person. Just if, consider the fact, what will I do about it? Not here to point fingers, but just entertain the thought that we were all born and raised in the same environment of separate and unequal, right? We went to some of the same schools. I integrated my high school back in Maryland in the sixth grade. We didn't have middle school and junior high. You went from elementary to high school. And that was a very difficult and challenging time because Maryland is on the Mason-Dixon line. Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, all of that, okay, where many of our enslaved ancestors uh, came into that space. And so those thoughts, attitudes were, were extremely prevalent. And my county was one of the last counties to integrate and this was 10 years after Brown v. Board, okay? They were like, we're not doing that. We're never gonna do that. And so to have these bills, significant legislation around race, equity, fairness, to pass during this current climate, Representative Hollins, you did it. That's all I can say. You're listening to a special rebroadcast of Juneteenth National Freedom Day at Westminster College on KRCL Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones, taking an editing beat here to get us into the Q&A section of this panel conversation and a question we couldn't quite hear in the recording. To summarize, an audience member wanted to know from the panel what they thought about and were prepared to do when it comes to the issue of critical race theory in our community, how to address it and the criticism that it seems to engender from those on the political right. Panelist Michelle Loveday starts with an answer. Well, what we're not going to do is fight it. That's the first step, especially in education. And I think the important thing is it's, we've learned in K-12 that it's a running target of other narratives and definitions that are not accurate. And so what we are doing is just continuing that work that needs to be done for our students surrounding culturally relevant environments and culturally relevant teaching, the other CRT, um, but the first step, personally, is I was thankful to be invited to talk to the uh, Democratic Caucus and, and give a, a, a what is and how for on what is CRT and how um, the tenets of CRT often can blend into the leadership styles of an administrator at a school. Um, and so just having the open conversation and knowing the definitions um, is the first step in talking to legislators at how what we're doing in our schools in Utah is not damaging students. It's something that we've been doing since the 70s when we had REACH training with respecting ethnic and cultural heritage and the information that we're sharing. And so we just continue to educate what we are doing. Um, we stopped a year and a half ago trying to argue that we weren't teaching it. Um, because it was exhausting. It was like the chair is now CRT, the sky is now CRT, and we realized it was never-ending, and so we just move forward in what needs to be done. And so while, for example, it's not a Juneteenth thing, but in my own school district, we were able to have Pacific Islander students be able to speak up for themselves to be able to wear lays at their high school graduation, simple acts of cultural heritage. 
Um, and so we are talking and speaking to people like you, and I think the one thing moving forward and how you know, institutions of higher education can help is to go down and share that with school districts and talk to school board members and schedule meetings with superintendents to help educate um, the need for having global prepared students to come to your university that have not been sheltered. Because what would they gain at Westminster if they did not have a clue about anything else? Um, and to be able to think critically. So I would just encourage you, know, you at Westminster to go down to K-12 um, educators and, and give them the encouragement of the power that education holds. So part of my answer to um, that was the, the ethnic studies bill and making sure that our children and our young people are taught about um, those individuals who help build this country and help build this state and making sure that they see a reflection of themselves in, um, in their curriculum. Now, let me say this, you know, every time political season comes around, there's always something. This time it was critical race theory. Next time it's gonna be something else and we're gonna be, oh yeah, we got replacement theory. Um, and so it's always something. It's always something. And so I, I watching the cycle, my, my, my gut feeling tells me that something else is going to be coming up and this is going to be placed on a back burner and people are going to have been forgot all about it <laughs> and have been moved on to something else, to something that's newer. Um, and so, um, yeah, my, my, my answer to that was, was the ethnic studies bill where I was able to bring... Um, everybody on board and say, okay, this is our answer to this. We're, gonna, we, we're going to look at how we are, are educating our kids around their history. From a community perspective, as uh, president of our NAACP chapter, one of the things we've committed ourselves to education, making sure that resources are available for people to do some self-discovery. Like I said, uh, my formative years were in a segregated school and I thank God for that because I was able to get a strong sense of self. And, and so when the negative things happened to me, I was able to stand and withstand some of that. And so I think it's so important that we do that self-discovery on our own in groups. So we put reading lists on our website. When we go to city council meetings and things of that nature, we, we follow up by sending a book back to our mayor to the police chief, whether it's, you know, Michelle Alexander, Octavia Butler, you know, whoever we're talking about or reading at the moment, we make sure we share those and, and, and encourage them to read and to discover for themselves and come to grips with where they are because they are the ones that are responsible for passing policy, public policy. And we know that our own history has been that a lot of the discrimination came at the hands of our government uh, with us, and so we want them to be more informed. And the other thing that we're doing, when I was at the University of Utah, I started a, a group of conversations that our students wanted to do, and we called them conversations on the red. You know, pun, you of you, of course. But race, <laughs> ethnicity, and diversity. And so we're pushing that out as a community initiative to just start having small conversations where people are free to ask what they want to ask, share with what they want to share, because if we don't have these conversations and get to the root causes of why we're stuck where we are, because we're stuck, and then we end up falling prey to the political jargon. And for whatever reason, uh, this stuff keeps getting pushed out. But we're smarter than that, aren't we? Are you smarter than that? Can you read between the lines? <laughs> Can you understand what's going on in this country? You know, replacement, we have to move away from this deficit model thinking. We're the richest, most powerful, that's what I hear every day, country in the world, and we cannot scratch this issue off the list. You know, after 400 years, come on, you're bright minds in here. Let's get to work. Are you with me? Yeah. 
Look, I told you, I'm a community activist, advocate, you know, all this talk, you know, I understand. So we do some conversations, but after that, I'm challenging you to get up, as Bob Marley says, stand up, okay, let's get to work. Thank you. So I don't know if you are picking up what they're putting down. So a couple of things, I don't know if you picked up when Ms. Betty said, well, Ms. King, Mrs. King came to Utah. Do you know which Mrs. King she's talking about? The Coretta Scott King, the wife, the champion of uh, making MLK Day a, a national holiday. And the fact that she was on the road across this country advocating uh, uh, strategizing. Um, I am the legacy of what you founded in terms of the MLK Commission. I was just appointed, and I'm not bragging, but it's true, um, <laughs> this year. And that's because of what you started. So, so I don't know if, if you're hearing the strategy, the grassroots strategy, the educational strategy, the legislative strategy. There is a place for you to advocate what matters to you. Clearly, these issues matter to them and they have and continue to serve. And, and I, again, I told you I know all of them, but you're getting the public engagement, not the private personal engagement that we'll do later. But they are walking this out, living this out every day. So be inspired by, there is a way for you to find your place. You don't have to be, you may not be elected to office. You may not have your own educational academy. You may not have decades and still going strong. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted, going strong and in the community building such a legacy. But there is a place for you to advocate for what matters to you. And when we do that, it does make our world, our country, our state, our circles of influence where we live to be better. And this is inspiring for me because sometimes I die on heels real fast and that is exhausting. And so I am gleaning hope from, from this conversation and the, and the message always is to keep going so to, to wrap us up, and I'm answering my own question, it is suggested that the June 2021 federal observance might not have happened if it were not for the civil and racial uprisings of 2020, including the global protests following the virally publicized death of George Floyd. But what's still sitting in these federal legislatures today the George Floyd policing bill, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And just this year, after 240 times, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was finally passed this year. <laughs> so, so, Part of me is, you know, would want to just hang on, like, well, why, do, why are we still sitting on these things? But yet, we can also look to the fact that Juneteenth is an official national holiday, and just one year later, it is an official Utah state holiday. So if that message is to just keep going, that's the, that's the personal message, that's the personal takeaway for me. So if you need a few other takeaways, I'm gonna ask our trifecta of a panel to, to give us you know, one takeaway, at least one takeaway uh, going forward from our time together. I was gonna to look to my elders, but <laughs> they're throwing me out there. Dance, baby. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think, as I think about the one takeaway, it's to challenge conversations. We often allow conversations to happen and then we kind of laugh and, and, and walk. But I think it's to challenge the, well, why do you think that way? Or what made you say that? Response to a statement would, would challenge those conversations um, around our circle. If your circle is not very diverse, I encourage you to continue to attend 
every Juneteenth event you can starting from today until Monday. And there's a lot to choose from and, and go up and engage with people um, and, and get their phone number and truly invite them over. Um, and, and so I think for me, that would be those two challenges is, is to conversate and create new friendships. Guess I'm next. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, what you said earlier about um, Dr. Stevenson about um, moving, moving forward. Um, I love Disney cartoons. I don't know about you all, but I don't think I can ever outgrow them. <laughs> and one of my favorite is Nemo. And in Nemo, you have this fish, Nemo, and she's always singing, no matter what happens, just keep swimming, 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 just keep swimming. <laughs> Dory, Dory, just keep swimming. And so... That has just kind of become my philosophy. No matter what happens, just keep swimming. Just keep moving forward, no matter what happens. Um, I think we are so, so quick when things don't go our way, when we're working on an issue and it don't go our way to just say, okay, I'm done. But yet we forget how long the civil rights movement took to happen. Um, it, that wasn't something that happened overnight. It was still a lot of fighting and a lot of pushing. And, and I just sit and think, what if some of our civil rights leaders have um, said, okay, it didn't happen, let's go back home, it's done. They just kept swimming, and they kept moving forward, and they kept pushing. And so for me, that's the takeaway. Yes, you're going to be defeated, you're going to get knocked down, but some, I've been knocked down, trust me, a whole lot of time by, up at the Capitol and doing different things and trying to push different things. But you know what? You, you dust yourself off, you stand up, and you just keep moving. I can't tell you, my husband could tell you how many times I done quit. I done quit for 45 days up at the Capitol. I quit. <laughs> I come home and I tell him, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm quit. I'm not running for office. And he said, okay. <laughs> All right. And then, and then I wake up and go back, go back, to the, go back up on the hill and, and finish um, swimming. So keep pushing forward, keep fighting. A change has got to come. A change is going to come. Sounds great, and I'm going to build on what they've shared. A couple of things. One, I was watching a um, presentation by the late Asa Hilliard, uh, educator, psychologist, uh, a lot around our black babies in schools. And one of the things that he would always do in all of his presentations was to challenge the educators to say, and do these affirmations about the genius in every child. Every child is a genius. Every black child is a genius. And so me, myself, being a, a black woman in Utah, uh, trying to make things happen, I have to get up every day and do affirmations for myself. Uh, civil rights is not for wimps. I'm just going to let you know. Okay, social justice is not for wimps. You may have entered that space like, oh, I don't know what to do. But I tell my kids and myself, do it afraid until your fear turns to faith. That's my personal mantra. I had to develop that for myself because fear is a natural response. It's, you know, I'm scared. We, we had reptiles at Juneteenth on Saturday. And when they bring out the snakes and the lizards and stuff, I go to the back of the room, okay? Just, I, I don't, don't call me, because I'm not doing that. So, so fear is a natural response, but you do it afraid until your fear turns to faith. When I get to come and speak, I'm scared. It's like, oh, Lord, what are, you know, all these faces. But once you start, that eases away, and slowly you do what you came there to do. And so that would be number one. Develop your own personal affirmations. And an affirmation is nothing, just like a dream, if you don't act on it, okay? And so what can you do every day or every week to make a difference? Because it's not that you don't see and hear what's going on, but a lot of times we talk ourselves out of it by, oh, well, I can't make a difference. What am I, this won't matter. They're not going to listen to me. No, you do it anyway. Do it anyway. And one of my uh, younger colleagues, who's an educator as well, uh, repeats the, I think it's a quote by, and I don't know who, if you want to go fast, 
Go alone. Go alone. If you want to go far, go go together. And so find somebody of like mind to go on this journey with you. And it makes it a lot easier. And the party is so much greater when it's all done. Ogden NAACP Presidents Betty Sawyer, Michelle Loveday of RISE Virtual Academy, Representative Sandra Hollins, and Dr. Tamara Stevenson, part of Westminster College's first-ever Juneteenth National Freedom Day panel. My thanks to Dr. Stevenson, as well as Elise Correa from Westminster for making sure we had this to share with you this evening. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening and plugging into your community with KRCL's Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions? Send it all to radioactive at krcl.org. Tomorrow night is Punk Rock Farmer Friday on Radioactive. Until then, have a great night.